Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hello, this is Dr. Susan Little. And it is. It's <laughs> No. <laughs> I was waiting. Yeah, no, I just messed up because I, I started talking Dutch. That's the worst part. Did you start talking Dutch? Yeah, yeah. It's, it sounds like like uh, uh, the same as English. So this is Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. And in Dutch, it did is Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Oh. So it's very... It looks so like close. it. But my brain said speak Dutch, and I'm the only, I don't know why. It's the weirdest thing. But this is the Per Podcast, by the way, and uh, we're back. I really, back. I, I caught you um, by surprise there. Like yes, I, I could tell. I was waiting for a moment when your like attention, your attention kind of like faded a bit, and I thought, okay, now I'm going to start the podcast. And yeah, I was just very interested in seeing what Leslie was doing because she was. Out of spec for a second, so <laughs> I, went, I went and grabbed my notes. I have notes. Oh, oh, oh she's got notes. I have oh, notes. Yeah. I did my homework, and oh, okay, <laughs> and and the thing. Okay, the thing here, Doctor Susan, is was this the original paper that we discussed? Why we wanted to talk to Leslie? Because yes. I think this is a different paper. No, same one. It is. Yeah, yeah my, brain, my brain is is fried probably from too much travel, but uh, yes. I'm very excited to talk about this. So can you introduce our guest? Me? Yeah, you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, sometimes guests introduce themselves. I don't know. Um, yes. And yeah, we don't want to do it in Dutch either. So it's probably safer if I do it. So um, yeah, so we are very lucky to have the... Um, world famous cat geneticist and easily one of my best friends top three i think lifetime top three <laughs> with us today <laughs> um and that's dr leslie lyons so that is the nicest introduction <laughs> yeah your your friendly neighborhood cat geneticist yes everybody <laughs> needs one Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there are so oh. many that we can choose from, and here's yeah. left. Right. There you go. There you go. Oh, I want to know top three. I want to know where I am on your speed dial. Is, oh. uh, you know, that's that's yeah. how you're ranked. Yeah. Is, is right. where you are on the speed dial. <laughs> yeah. When people actually used to have phones, right? Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Who's, who's on your speed dial? Yeah. Yeah. You know, on, on your rotary phone, there was no speed dial. <laughs> this is true. This is true. I was I was telling um, I was telling my uh, son the other day that in in uh, elementary school we actually had lessons on um, telephone um, etiquette, like how to answer the phone and what to say, and yeah, we actually I remember that we actually had lessons on how to use a telephone. <laughs> so what did you learn? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wish they would actually do that on how to write a proper email 
Um, oh. you know, like maybe using a salutation. Yeah. Like, Dear Dr. Lyons, how are yeah. you? <laughs> you know, yeah. not Leslie. <laughs> You can use uh, artificial intelligence for that now. So you just yeah, yeah. Oh. the words and then it has the dear Dr. Leslie. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, yeah. You just have to tell how many lines you want for the introduction. Right. Yes. So um, I, but I do agree with you. I think uh, email etiquette is another like big issue. So um, for my clinics, we created email templates, you know, for things that our staff have to, you know, email clients about over and over and over. Yeah. So we did that because they didn't, you know, know how to properly write an email, like, you know, dear so-and-so, and then to sign your name at the end and right. And so on. So we, we, uh, we, we created templates. So, so I have yeah. a question for you, Dr. Susan, is the Oxford comma in the regulations of the template included? Uh, the, there is, there are Oxford commas in, in the templates, of course. Excellent. Yeah. Do you have restrictions like, please use the Oxford comma in any text that you send? Um, they no, no. But when I write the templates, it's the so I'm, I'm always having battles about um, the Oxford um, comma. And sometimes I win and sometimes I lose. So the one recently that I well, must have been last year that I lost was with a journal, um, a journal article. And I got the you know article back for review before it's published. And they took out all of my Oxford commas. And so I contacted the editor and said, can I have my Oxford commas back? And they said, no, we don't use Oxford commas unless it's absolutely necessary to clarify the intent of that sentence. And I'm like, why don't you just use it all the time? Then nobody has to worry about, is it clear, you know, yes or no? So I lost that one. Yeah. I was not raised with Oxford commas. No. Nope. In fact, when I was like, who's putting these extra commas before the and? You know, you don't need, you got and, you don't need the comma. And um, hey, Leslie, you're shocking Dr. Susan right now. I <laughs> <I'm> shocked. <laughs> you're shocked. <laughs> I yeah, was shocked I the other day that a student know, didn't know what a carriage return was. Oh. I'm like, hit the carriage return, hit the carriage. And they're looking at me like I'm from outer space. And I'm like, it's yeah. the enter button. The enter button. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I had a class in, um, I think in high school on uh, learning to type yeah. on these yeah. like big electric uh, typewriters. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm surprised though, that the people raised with gaming and all, all these computers and stuff actually don't know the proper placement of the fingers on the keyboard oh. so that you can type efficiently and quickly. Oh. Um, you have the little thingies for the two fingers. That you can feel? Yeah. yeah. A little thingy. Yeah. 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 That's it. And I just want to say, if you have a Mac, the carriage return is easier because it doesn't say enter. It says return. There it says That's return. It. You know, hey, those little uh, Braille thingies are not on my keyboard. It's on the F and the J. Yeah, I know. So, they're not there. No, they're not on mine oh, either. Oh, no, wait. Yeah, they, I lie. I lie. They are. They're Where? There. They're at the bottom. It's a bar. Oh, so the nice thing about the so purple you, cats is that you learn all sorts of things. You know, yeah. we are not only talking about cats, but now we're talking about little thingies on the F and J. Yeah, it's a little bar. 
They, they probably have some on the bottom. It is a little bar on the bottom, right? Yeah, that's what, what is the your, little thingy on the J key? You put your little two pointy fingers on that. Yeah. Well, they're not really obvious, you know. Oh, well, there you go. You learn something all the time. Excellent. So, yes. all right, what, what are we talking about today? Yes, so that this, this, um, this whole thing started because I saw an article about cancer in cats um, and genetics, and so... Uh, I sent it to um, Dr. Lyons and said, like, have you seen this and what what do you think about it? So, um, yeah, so that's where it started. So it's an article. It's a review article. And it's called Feline Oncogenomics. What do we know about the genetics of cancer in domestic cats? Yeah, so it... Um, I don't remember the date on this, but it's like re really recent. And I was also interested because the authors... That's science is 2022. 2022, okay. So the right. authors, um, one is from the Ontario Veterinary College where I graduated from. And I know at least one of the other um, authors. So it really kind of intrigued me. And, you know, this journal article, I, I don't see this very often and I kind of like it. So when you look at when you, you when you look at journal articles, um, especially if you don't have the whole article, you'll have an abstract right from them. And this this uh, journal does a simple summary and then an abstract. So they're they're both there. And yeah, I don't see that very often. A simple summary, like for lay people and then the abstract or is well, it a um, simple summary about well, I will. I will show you. I just realized I can. I can put it up on the screen, and I can show you what I mean. Excellent. Yeah, because so, I've never seen this before. So, and I have obviously one question: What do we know about feline <laughs> genomics, Leslie? Yeah. Well, I. I it's a very nicely done uh, review article, and and I, you know, I'm going to remember to keep this handy. Um, but overall. We don't know much, and um, and actually we don't know tremendously much in companion animals, but by far more in dogs, and for exactly the same reason as we know uh, more about inherited diseases in dogs than we do in cats, and that there's just more breeds of dogs, and there's been more selection that is more intense and so when we're looking at cancers, what we have to keep in mind is a vast majority of cancer is due to mutations that are occurring in the cells of your body, in some tissue, the somatic mutations, and they're not what we call germline mutations that are occurring in your egg and your sperm, and then you inherit those and then they confer a risk. And so when you have germline cancer risks, mutations in your in all your DNA, um, those tend to cause very early onset cancers. So the perfect example is BRCA1 uh, for women with breast cancer. If you have mutations in BRCA1, and this paper even mentions that, that you're at risk for developing breast cancer is 72% higher than, or or the overall likelihood that you'll get breast cancer is 72% um, than 
than people that get breast cancer premenopausal. And when they're young, they tend to have one of these germline mutations and they have a mutation that causes them to have a susceptibility to cancer. So that's what we're always trying to look at in our breeds. And so I turn the question back around to you. Name cat breeds that have a very high frequency of cancer that you don't see in random bred cats. Mm. Yeah. Do you, do you know, I don't think the only example I can think of, and I know this is something you looked into too, and it was um, lymphoma in the, like the oriental breeds, right? Yeah. That meniastinal lymphoma. Meniastinal lymphoma. Onsets yeah. by two years, by three years, the cats right. are dead. They respond to the normal um, therapies. I guess, would that be chop therapies? Yeah. And uh, but then it comes back with a vengeance and the cats are dead very quickly. Yeah. So and they don't have one that, that I've thought is maybe heritable and yeah. something that we could find a germline mutation for. Yeah. I know one is Siamese cats and mast cell tumors. So in Siamese cats, there is a mast cell tumor that doesn't behave as aggressive as in. You know, so it looks like it's a better behaving mass cell tumor than in uh so that would be one that i would say is just very we, specific we've something. had mammary tumor come up um right more frequently in siamese as well right. so right. um but those occur in other cats as well so they, where the mediastinal lymphoma was very very suspicious right the siamese is like a boxer like a boxer. Yes. A boxer gets all cancers and gets everything. Yeah. 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 yeah but you, you're right. You know, if you think about it, probably most vets can think of um, uh, canine breeds that are associated with cancer, but probably couldn't mention a feline one. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's just not yeah. common enough. And part of that may be because we don't like, like most vets only see a small percentage of cats that are um, a purebred breed, right? The like the majority, place, right. right? The majority right. that we see are are just random bred cats. But you know that I think that might be um, flipped if you're seeing um, the lesser species. Uh, you're probably more likely to see breeds than you would in cats. I think. However, cats or uh, really open the door for cancer studies. If I think we talked about this in the first podcast I did with you, is mm. that um, cats are the example where you have a virus that can cause a type of cancer, so feline leukemia virus. And that's why a big portion of the National Cancer Institute, the whole lab of viral um, carcinogenesis, which is the lab I joined to do my postdoc up in in Fort Detrick and Frederick, that developed because we thought, woo woo, here we go. Um, viruses cause cancer. Well, we have leukemia virus, we have Kaposi's carcinoma, carcinoma, we have the um, the venereal de- disease in the dogs. AVT. We have um, uh, what else? There's a there's another one. Um, yeah, the one in the uh, whatever that that animal is in Australia, Tasmanian devil. Oh, Tasmanian yes. devil, and then uh, and then of course papillomaviruses being associated with uh, cervical cancer and maybe other things as well. But overall, there's a few. 
Yeah. And in the beginning, we thought, "Woo, here's the answer. And um, and that so cats open the door for cancer, but uh, they just haven't led the way because with old age cancers, um, you're never quite sure of are you mixing apples with apples? So you'll see a majority of these studies in this paper try to look for mutations in the tumors but they'll say seven out of 15 had this mutation or nine out of 24 had a TP53 mutation. So that's, that's all because of two things. We never know if any one cancer is caused by the same thing in any two different individuals. And then three, we never know what cause and effect is. What is the first mutations that occur in the cells that disrupt their control, allow proliferation. We know TP53, when it acts normally, it suppresses uh, proliferation. When you knock that out, then the cell goes crazy. So we know TP53 is important, but that doesn't mean that's the only what's now called driver mutation um, that really pushes the tumor along. And then once cells get out of control, they can acquire all kinds of different mutations. And also described in this paper is the microarray study that was done probably by Matthew Breen's group at North Carolina, Rachel Thomas and Matthew Breen, where you see all these chromosomal rearrangements well, that's that's once the tumor has just gone crazy mm. and uh, there's no con- control over the cell regulation. Um, however, we do know there's some chromosomal abnormalities that lead to cancer developments like um, the um, um, there's an ABL uh, mutation that causes a certain type of uh, cancer in humans and um and MYC expansions cause cancer in humans as well. The oncogene MYC gets just repeated over and over again and gets expanded in the chromosomes. So we know there's some chromosomal abnormalities, and we always look for those in our cats and dogs, um, but we haven't found comparable mm. types of mutations. Right, and yeah. inter- it's interesting that you say that, Leslie, because, you know, of course, I did a lot of osteosarcoma research and basic research on it in the D and a little bit in the cat. Um, but we always first look at the human counterpart and see mm. what mutations or changes are there, then try to translate that to either the canine or the feline often doesn't fit. Sometimes it does fit because P53 was pretty common in the in the D2 um and uh also in the cat i think it was reported but you know we don't know if these were the original ones or if these were part of the process and where in the process these happen so so you know these are such most of these tumors are so such multigenic events that it's really difficult to find the original change or the one change that every tumor has which is almost impossible right and there's there's also no reason to think that um all tumors are going to have the same mutation there's there's lots of different pathways to get to the same outcome and um and so we do our best when we're doing genetic studies to try to lump all the ones that are together so that we can at least find one mutation that we know is true Um, But you'll see this paper also mentions many one-off cases 
And there's no reason why those one-off cases are not correct. Um, so they might be correct for that animal. Um, but you're hoping for better because yeah. you're hoping for some type of targeted treatment that can go against the specific gene and even the specific mutation within that gene um, to help the outcome of the animal. And mm-hmm. so when it's these one-off mutations, you're kind of, ugh, you know, that's, that's really hard to find a targeted treatment where, you know, you have a cluster and then hence you can genetically type the tumor. Uh, like they drew with, uh, you know, triple negative breast cancer, for example, they're typing for three different things. And um, they're hoping that uh, the tumors are, has a receptor for one of those things to target the treatment. But, um, you know, that's that's the overall goal. You're hoping to find a group of cats or a type of tumor that is going to have something consistent. And it might not be the same mutation. It might be a pathway that's consistent and maybe you can target the pathway. So I would be interested in your view because there are some tumors that are very specific for cats and you don't see them as much in the D. You probably see, oh, I think we just lost her. Yeah, sorry. You know, I tapped my, my metal pen to the laptop and I lost you. I wonder if oh. it has something to do with it. That's interesting. Yeah. You're full of electricity. Uh, yes. It was, it was my fingers. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's it. So I'm so, sorry. What were you saying there, Joel? Yeah, I'm going to repeat my question. So, Ben, yeah. sorry. So, the question I have for you, Leslie, is that cats have very specific tumors that we don't see as much in people and we don't see as much in the D world. And the two that I would like to refer to is squamous cell carcinoma is one, uh, especially the the solar induced squamous cell carcinoma, although we do see that in people, but in cats, it's very obvious that they get it. And but the under other, the tongue one too, Yola, like yeah, we yeah, don't and, see that. Yeah, that's, that's where I wanted to go is that cats have this very specific location under the yeah. tongue. And there must be a genetic reason why it happens there, because I have not seen that in any other species. Yeah, in the dog, you can get it in the tongue, but not under tongue where their frenulum is, is that chronic irritation, whatever it is that causes that. And then the other one is the specific injection site sarcomas. Oh, yeah, yeah. the chronic stimulation. So those are two so specific cat tumors that I would say that, you know, if you want to find a original reason or genetic reason why cats get tumors those are ones probably that i would go for yes yeah when i when i got to um missouri in what 2013 now 10 years now uh chatting with jeff bryant he was like oh if there's one thing we'd love to solve it would be oral squamous cell carcinoma yeah um because it's so aggressive the treatment is so poor but there again it's just in random bred cats. It's not breed yeah. specific. So as a geneticist, I hate that. Yeah. And then also it's it mostly later on set, right? It's it's not something you're seeing very young cats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So once again, you're kind of leaning towards some type of exposure. And then, um, and then speaking about the vaccine-associated sarcomas, um, again, and then also when we think about lymphoma, is it cats don't do well with all this inflammation? 
And um, so things that cause cats to be inflamed, some type of poor diet, something that's leading to inflammatory bowel disease. Um, you know, do these cats that get the oral squames or are, are, do they have a poor mouth condition in the first place? And um, so that's kind of the thought behind it is, is there something that actually triggers the cat's immune system that then pushes them down the road towards these uh, oncogenic effects? And that would make a lot of sense when the, the squamous cells is near the teeth and where the, where the real inflammation is. Under the tongue, there yeah. is no inflammation. It's just a frenulum that's there. Maybe it is stretching the frenulum or through licking i i, I you know it, it always surprises me that location it doesn't make yeah. any sense why yeah and that's why I, I i feel the one thing that you trigger with me right now is that i don't know if anybody has researched hundred thousands of cats and cat breeds and trying to figure out what are common tumors in that those specific breeds we do that in the D word for sure. We know, okay, golden retrievers get these comments most likely, but I don't think anybody has done it for a cat. I mean, that would be the first step I would go to and say, hey, yeah. let's pick out some breeds, uh, reach out to veterinarians and breeders and list the tumors that occur in that specific breed. Yes. As a I would think the closest thing that comes to that now are the studies done in Sweden and with the, the compass yes. databases and stuff in the UK, yeah. In the UK that are are coming the closest. But yeah, you're right. It, it, if you go to just do the epidemiology right. of the cancers, where are they found? Uh what cats, the ages of the cats, uh just those good data sets in the first place. Um would be, you know, very, very helpful. But but we are starting to uh, get moving towards um, being able to have cheaper and cheaper ways to analyze larger and larger data sets. And so that's what you need to do with these cancer projects. Just get as large a data set as possible and use genomics to try to uh, find the associations and figure out what is in a majority of the tumors or, you know, can you say 50% of tumors have this, but 10 have this and 10% have this and 10% oh. have that, you know, that, that be okay too. Um, so we're, we're starting to get better with having a really good cat genome and having cheaper ways right. to analyze larger data sets. And, and I think that now you're talking about step three. So step one is finding the link between the breed the specific breed and the tumor. Then mm -hmm. two step two is finding tissues of those breeds with tissues of normal cats, I guess, from the yep. breed. And then that step three is using genomics and your techniques and knowing the cat genome to find out what are the difference between the two groups. Yeah. And I would say probably at this point, the hardest is what we call getting the tumor normal um, DNA samples. So a uh, sample of the tumor, not just in formalin, but something uh, flash frozen so that we can get DNA from it. And then uh, normal DNA, the quote normal DNA, right? We think it's normal. So, um, you know, from some other tissue in the cat that is not uh, not neoplastic. So, um, uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Yep. So, and a lot of times that can just be white cells, but right. not if you're studying leukemia, of course. But um, so um, that's what we would love to be able to have and would love to have uh, people just establishing that resource. So there's, you know, without without that, you can't really do anything. So uh, you need the, the tumor normal comparisons um, to make headway. Right. Is it, right, right. It's been hard to crack um, the the genetics of cancer in cats. Uh, I know when in the years when I was working with the Win Feline Foundation, uh, we funded a number of studies, particularly looking for uh, answers for mammary adenocarcinoma. So we went through a period when you know people were trying to hunt down different uh, genes for mammary adenocarcinoma, um, you know, without, without really coming out with, with very much. So I think there's, although there's not a lot of studies, I think the ones that um, have been done in the past, that that road is kind of littered with not failures, but we didn't we didn't get anything out of it. But what you're talking about now, Leslie, is a different approach, though, right? Yeah. Well, you know, everyone the, for anything, the the appropriate approaches are to start with candidate genes, and that is what is the best known driver for this type of type of cancer. TP53 is always high on the list. But as uh, as this paper goes through, there's there's different well-known genes for different types of cancers. And um, so, so many of those are are mentioned throughout this manuscript. And, and so that's the obvious thing to do. And when you have minimal resources, that's that's the best thing you can do. And, and sometimes you're lucky, you know, yeah. and you, you find the right thing. So um, uh, the, those are always good ways to go. But unfortunately, I think cats are different in that they are random bred individuals and yeah. that really a lot of cats might have their own individual causes for cancers and and so they're going to be hard to, tr to track down you you had up some of the um uh lymphoma intestinal lymphoma uh regions as this, yeah. this picture one of the things i i you know i would love to make some type of headway on lymphoma that's yeah. by far the most one of the biggest in important causes of death for cats yeah but you can't just group all the lymphomas together so right. uh, you know what what could we sell so we've kind of thought about could we do that real aggressive one the large cell um lymphoma that cat gets this diagnosis you know it's a goner and and so you just pretty much think about a plan for euthanasia um I I would think that's one we could rally around. Uh, it's it's rarer, hmm. but if you had everything together, you yeah. could you could maybe do it. Yeah. The interesting yeah. thing here, though, is that when you go for the most anaplastic one, it will be 
very difficult to find one reason why this tumor. So the more heterogeneous the, the pool is and the more aggressive the tumor is, the more changes probably the tumor went through. So it will be difficult yeah. to find one thing. The other thing is with going back to memory cancer, there's such a plethora of memory cancer types, right. just like we thought, okay, bone tumors, also is a coma, it's just one type. But if you look at it, there's so many subtypes that you really need to pick out only one and really focus on that one. It needs to be often enough to get enough cases and tissue in. And then it could not be too anaplastic because you won't find anything or you find, you know, find everything under the sun, but it doesn't mean anything. So it, it makes it really, really tough. As a matter of fact, I, I I would prefer to find one tumor that is very alike in all the cases that you see and and then target that specific one. Right. So lymphoma, I would say there is too much variation as a matter of fact already. And so if you pick lymphoma as the tumor that I want to find something in, you probably it, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my uh, my preference for working on it is, you know, after working so long in cats, wouldn't you want to make some headway and you know what you know is the most common cancer in cats and and that's the only way i've been able to think about breaking it down but but you as you mentioned the the clinical phenotyping and the staging and um you know doing the subtypes of these tumors is very important they they this paper mentions that especially when they're talking about the soft tissue sarcomas that those aren't very well defined either yeah. um that uh yeah you know it it's very very important to have all that clinical work up and and you know sometimes with that large cell lymphoma uh, people don't even want to bother with that because they know it's there there you go and and um, why bother with all the extra workup on the cat? Well, they, this, you, you, you. Sorry, Susan, I have to break you up because we're at time. Oh, yes. Gosh, there's never <laughs> enough time. We'll go on <laughs> next week about the same topic. We'll be back. This is the Per Podcast. Uh, you can find more information at perpodcast.net uh, and our handle at Per Podcast. Uh, thank you, Dr. Leslie. My yes. pleasure. Always wonderful to join you guys. Cats rule. That's rules. <laughs> I like it. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs. And you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatPetSusan. Dr. Yurla Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at G-V-E-T-S-X. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. 
Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page at per podcast.